Hi, I'm Marilyn Dennis. This is Marilyn Dennis Does a Podcast. This episode, I'll be chatting with legendary actor Joe Pantoliano, also known as Joey Pants. That's his nickname. In fact, his Instagram handle is RealJoeyPants. Fans know Joe from the iconic films like Risky Business, The Goonies, The Fugitive, The Matrix, Bad Boys franchise, and of course, his Emmy-winning performance as mobster Ralph Cifarato in The Sopranos. He was epic in that. We're going to talk to Joe about what life has been like during the pandemic as he quarantines with his wife and his grown kids in Connecticut, his incredible showbiz journey from growing up on welfare and his lifelong struggles with depression to becoming one of the most versatile actors in Hollywood. So let's talk with Joe Pantoliano. Hello, Joe. Good morning. It's good to see you. I see you on Zoom. Uh, you know, I talked to you last time on the TV show and we're getting all caught up with this uh, new movie that's out. We're going to get to that in a few minutes, but I want to ask you how isolating with Nancy and your grown-up kids has been going so far. Right now, when we're talking is week 19, uh, but by the time this airs, it could be 20, 21, 22. So how are things going? Well, we we all got our, our tests back negative. Oh, great. Uh, which really didn't change much because we're all in the house. We don't go out much. We've taken on uh, Nancy's birthday is coming up, and, and my middle daughter, Daniela, built a garden uh, that took three days. Very difficult. Heavy lumber and wow. screwing it. She, she did that with her boyfriend, and Nancy helped a little. Uh, but, you know, uh, I've been painting our house. Uh, <laughs> I told a friend that I was doing, that Danny and I were doing a lot of painting, and they thought, I was doing portraits. I said, no, I'm painting the house. I'm doing trim <laughs> and I'm doing taping. Ah, oh, uh, very good. And, it, you know, it's it, we're getting a lot of stuff done that we wouldn't have uh, even thought to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's fun. Last night, the girl, uh, Danny and her boyfriend, Dan, made a brisket. Uh, wow. So, and we ate. We ate at the dining room table, usually reserved for holidays. Right. Uh, and then they play that game. What's it? Yahtzee? Or... Yahtzee. I haven't played that since 1976. That's awesome. Oh, no, I'm sorry. It's called Catan. Catan. Oh, I don't know anything about that game. It's a How new, you... it's kind of like, it's kind of like uh, Monopoly. You roll dice and you build roads and you build houses and you can build you can build cities and it's really, it's really a, a fun competitive game. So th- these are the things that I'm doing. You know, it's interesting because people staying at home that I've talked to have said they've broken more things at home and had to fix more things because they're at home more often. And the other thing is they're saying, well, you know, this, this is a time I wouldn't have with my kids, no matter what age. So it's kind of neat that, that these kind of things have kind of uh, brought into more family time and, uh, doing your own fixer-upper. Yeah, well, I broke my eardrum. Uh, I got hit by a car going on a family walk, a, a freak two-car uh, accident. The car turned in on an oncoming car. That car T-boned this SUV that came crashing into me. He set me up in the air, head trauma and 10 stitches and somehow fractured a bone in my ear. Oh, wow. So... So hopefully they're going to try to repair it. Right now, I lost seventy percent of my hearing. 
but uh, you know, no Corona. Right, right. I was doing a play in New York. I I would have been on stage rather than in traction. I I just want to say, is that the is that the walk that happened in um, May of this year? And yeah, yeah. Wow. So when after that happened, right to the hospital you go, yeah. which is frightening enough. Uh, your experience there must have been. I don't know. Were you in the hospital for a couple of days? Well, they 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 kicked me out because of Corona. Uh, mm. You know, everyone was wearing masks, and I was in the trauma unit, yeah. which is separated. Back in May, it was somewhat of a catastrophe in the tri-state area. Right, right. And, uh, and you know, I was somewhat ashamed that I was afraid I was going to the worst place in the world, mm. uh, which is normally a place of recovery and comfort. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the people were terrific. And my wife and daughters were making masks and headbands for nurses and doctors. And so while I was in the ER, I noticed these colors and fabric pastels. And I said, that that stuff looks so familiar. And they said, yeah, a nice old lady's been making them for us. And I said, wait a minute, she's not that old. <laughs> Maybe I said, I'm not that old. <laughs> <laughs> wow, what a story. Well, are, are you feeling these days a little bit better? You you know? Yeah, uh, you know, I, I still feel stiff. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but I'm, you know, little phobias have developed that I'm trying to com- combat, like bicycle riding and what have oh, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I understand that. Um, and then the listening part, the 70% listening, is you, is, are you using that as an excuse with your wife about listening because of the hearing loss or are you like, Oh, uh, mm. no, I, I've been, I've been trained well <laughs> after 27 years, almost 30 years. And she's, uh, she's not a bad person to listen to. Oh, that's great. Well, listen, it's so good that you and I are talking because we did the TV show together a couple of weeks ago and we did a great had, job with that. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. It's just such, I like, I'm such a big fan. Uh, and I, uh, so loved talking to you. It went over time and I thought, I don't care. I got to get talk to Joe. That's why we're doing this podcast. Now you were talking about before the COVID situation, the lockdown that we're all experiencing you, what were you doing? You were, were you working on a play at the time? Is that what was going on? Yeah, I was doing an off-Broadway play that we had we we had done five weeks of rehearsal and we were into our fourth uh, week of previews. We were two days shy. Actually, on the day where the first set of critics were, were coming, mm-hmm. two days shy of the official opening night. Wow. I got a call that morning that we were shut down, that every theater in Manhattan was shut down. Wow. That every theater in the tri-state area was shut down, so we uh, we had to clean out our dressing rooms, and I was I had to clean out my apartment. I I was in an apartment they put me up in, and mm-hmm. you know, it was somewhat of a of a shock. Yeah, uh, I, I I anticipated somewhat I, with, with the news that was coming down the pike. I was starting to get nervous about it. Uh, we were in a complex, a complex that's called the New World Cinema uh, Theater mm-hmm. on 50th between 9th and 8th, right in the heart of Broadway. Mm-hmm. But uh, it it was an old uh, quadroplex theater that the Schubert's bought, bought and turned it into a live theater. So 3,000 
4,000 guests were coming through there every, every uh, day. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I was concerned about that because w- literally it's three floors below ground. Wow. Uh, and, uh, you know, so then we, I packed up, my wife came and picked me up a couple of days later and I've been here you know, since. So what do you think about, Joe, about Hollywood? About, I'm going to talk to you about Broadway because I've talked to Andrea Martin about Broadway and a couple of other uh, actors uh, talking about the fact that it was shut down. Uh, and then how is theater going to come back? What do you think the future of theater, we'll just say, you know, in New York, for example, uh, which is so beloved and so uh, awesome to attend. What do you think is going to happen to that world? I think that we kind of have to get past this. It's so expensive to put on a play mm-hmm. and you need audience participation with the restrictions of even only selling half of your tickets. There's no way for for them to make money. So I, I don't know. I mean, what I do know from what the union puts out is the the earliest they're talking right now is January, February of 2021. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it depends on the virus. And uh, mm-hmm. I, I think a lot of really great plays are going to be, are being written right now. I think a lot of great material uh, uh, will come out of it. Mm-hmm. You know, I think, ref- I think that's why, for an example, the reason from the vine is doing so well in Canada uh, is it, it it offers a beauty uh, viewing audience the ability to to escape uh, into this whimsical comedy um, dramedy mm-hmm. and and see bits and pieces of 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 yourself through these characters. Um, Mm-hmm. I, I don't know about dystopian uh, melodramas. I don't know um, what the audience will dictate, but the audience is going to dictate. They're going to tell us what they want to see by either pressing the button to see it or moving on. Right. The show that Joe is referring to when you're listening on this podcast is his latest film called From the Vine. It's already won multiple awards when it toured the film festival circuit in 2019. And it co-stars Wendy Crusoe, Wendy Crusoe, who's a true Canadian. We love her so much. You play a Canadian CEO who ends up facing a moral crisis. So let's talk about the, the storyline on this. Um, and the fact that you got to shoot in Southern Italy, that's good too. And Toronto. We shot, we shot, I think four days in Toronto and the rest in Italy and, it was beautiful. It, it was a magical experience being up there in Acerenza. And I think that reflects in the movie. I think you, if you see the movie, you can see how much fun everybody's having. It says here when you were filming, uh, food for me was always very important. And in that beautiful place, uh, there was only one restaurant. Right. That was open because it was off season. Yeah. During the season, they have many restaurants and a lot of tourism that comes up there. Right. But in our case, I think we started sometime in October. Uh, I think Sean and 
Francesco, the Italian producer, made a deal with uh, with this small family restaurant where they would do, cater our breakfast mm-hmm. and our lunch. And then after work, everybody would get home, take a shower, and then go to the restaurant for dinner. That's amazing. It became a family. It was, yeah, totally. And, and um, this fellow and his, his wife was the cook and he was the front guy. And, and he had two kids. Uh, and one was this seven-year-old boy and a four-year-old daughter. And they played the kids in the movie. They wound up getting cast in the movie. How perfect they played, is that? He played the young, young uh, me. And, uh, mm. and at night he'd say, Joe, what do you want to eat? <laughs> I love it. God, I love that. So this is um, this movie uh, is uh, about a man at the end of his career, an attorney who worked his way up to CEO of a small auto company in Canada. And then what happens after that? He loses. Well, his he's at, he's actually taken on a, a, a promotion mm-hmm. in, in, the, in the narrative. We see a series of flashbacks where his mentor who owned and started this company is gravely ill and makes makes a bargain with my guy, my character, uh, in terms of how, what he wants for the future of the company. I agree to, to do that, but then I'm I, I'm forced to uh, go against that deathbed promise, and uh, immediately when you meet this with my character. He's having visions that are unusual visions and uh, of his grandfather. And uh, so he does, he does, he makes the corporate decision for the bottom line, but then quits immediately following and somehow winds up in Italy, a place where he hasn't been in 50 years where he left when he was seven. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he didn't, they, they didn't patriot to uh, Canada, they wound up in New York in the United States where it's somewhat of a sin to be an implant, to be a- A transplant. Transplant. uh, And so if you can't speak the language you're made fun of, and so, uh, you know, you're an American now, speak English. It's everything uh, that I I dislike about America and, and everything I love about Canada. Oh. So, so by the time my guy gets back to Italy, he's he no longer has his native language. He struggles with it, mm-hmm. and uh, and he 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 catches up with childhood friends that help him along, and uh, he's lost. He's discovered that he's got he's in a loveless marriage. His daughter doesn't talk to him for three years. He thought that. You know, he bought the party line. You, you go to good school, you get a great education, great job, get married, have kids, and then you'll be happy. Uh, and he has all that, and he's not happy. So he's searching, and through his connection with his past in these dreamlike sequences, he starts getting the message from his deceased grandpa that what the answer might be is a lot simpler than he, than he had on his plate. Isn't that an appropriate movie right now during this lockdown about just yeah. setting the reset button and going, okay, what really matters? 
Yeah, and 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 whether you reset it or it's reset for you, and you don't mm-hmm. know it as long as you discover it, mm-hmm. that's the, the important part. That's that's the proper answer. And he finds he falls in love with his wife again, and yeah. and uh, and and his daughter sees that the choice that her father made is is not a bad choice, and mm-hmm. you know it's uh it's one of those big happy endings. We like that. We like that. Great, great viewing. It's it's called From the Vine. It's so good and so and you can get it on on VOD now. Yeah. Right. And also iTunes. Okay, we got that. That's perfect. Yeah, I just I just love the fact that you were in Toronto for a couple of days and went to one of my favorite countries and uh, and uh, represented Candle really well. I hope you come back to us again soon once everything opens up. Yeah, as soon as you guys let us in. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's, been a, there's a wall around the U.S. now. Nobody wants us. Oh. My passport, my pass, <laughs> I never thought I'd see the day where my passport is not uh, valued. Right. Because we're too dangerous. We're in an f- infection right now. It's, it's when we look uh, south of the border, we go, wow, there's only a couple of states that are not red with uh, with all the latest statistics. But we uh, miss our U.S. friends and we miss coming down to visit people down in the United States. But we got to get this thing uh, controlled for sure. The IKEA 2021 catalog is here. The 2021 catalog is bursting with tips and ideas. Consider it a super tool for any home finishing project, big or small. Packed with budget-friendly solutions, fresh looks, and new exciting products, every page includes inspiration to make homes cozier, smarter, more sustainable, and more beautiful. It's the ultimate handbook for a better everyday life at home. The IKEA 2021 catalog is available to view online at ikea.ca slash catalog and for pickup in IKEA locations across Canada. Do you mind if we talk about your book in, in 2012, Asylum, Hollywood Tales from My Great Depression, Brain Disease, sure. Recovery, and Being My Mother's Son? This is about your struggles with depression. Um, and you realize that when you were filming a movie with Marsha Gay Harden, that there was a, 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 a problem that you needed to address. Do you want to tell people about that? Well, you know, this is a movie that was brought to me by uh, uh, Joe Greco, who wrote it, and a friend, a mutual friend who helped me uh, to write my first book uh, from, it was called uh, Who's Sorry Now, Eddie Mordohovich. And uh, and I just finished working on The Sopranos, and it was about an Italian-American uh, family in Florida who was introduced to a, a mental illness um, as his wife has been acting unusual and, and then is diagnosed with auditory hallucinations and schizophrenia late on set. And, and so how it's a movie about how mental disease and the shame and discrimination that shrouds that kind of diagnosis affects and afflicts everyone in the family and the neighborhood, not just the person with the illness. and. Marcia Gay Harden, we were lucky enough to get Marcia Gay Harden to play my wife. And when she arrived, we started shooting and she, her behavior reminded me of, of someone. And, and then I realized it was my mother. And then it, it, in the course of, of all of this, I, I came to, to uh, forgive my deceased mom. And when I got home, uh, from the job, I was getting a general 
uh, bi-quarterly checkup by my doctor. And uh, he asked me how I was doing otherwise. All my stats were okay. And, and uh, I, you know, I was taking uh, Lipitor for cholesterol because there was a history of cholesterol, high cholesterol in the family. And mm-hmm. long story short, he said, well, uh, how are you feeling? And I said, not so good. I feel like I'm underwater. I feel, you know, I'm, I'm tired all the time and I can't sleep. Uh, uh, I'm hungry, but I can't eat. And he, he, he gave me several psychiatrists to talk to. I did. And that became my, this journey uh, of self-realization, recovery, and understanding that a lot of, of the, my depression that I was diagnosed as clinically depressed, but it was actually, you know, a byproduct of some kind of fam, family heirloom, you know, mm-hmm. that it was my mother's trauma, you know, and the, and the trauma of World War II that I wasn't even there. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and shame and discrimination that she was exposed to by an alcoholic father, a grandfather I had never even met. So it was quite interesting and, and, you know, and, and, and searching and, and, and delving into my past. Uh, so I wasn't so afraid of my future and I was living more in the present. I mean, a lot of the themes, I guess, are, are similar to uh, some of the themes in, in from the vine. Mm-hmm. But in my case, I, I was exposed. I, I, what I called my seven deadly symptoms that, you know, I'll, you know, success will make this feeling go away or money or, you know, women uh, uh, or, or drugs, you know, anything that mm-hmm. would eradicate this, this feeling that would always wake up the following morning. Was, and, and, and I know that uh, you've been sober for 12 years now. Uh, alcohol was one of those. Well, I, I haven't, I, I don't, I haven't used drugs or alcohol. I, I mean, I don't like thinking of myself as sober because mm-hmm. uh, I don't have the sober thought in my head. <laughs> I've learned to regulate and investigate, uh, but I'm far from sober. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Well, the interesting thing too about that, before we go on to your films too, more films to talk about, you wanted to help others. So you founded the charity organization. No kidding. Me too. Love the name of the organization. Well, that's, that's what awesome. people kept saying to me. Yeah. Uh, you know, at airports, people, fans would say hello and what are you up to? And I was making, we were editing the movie Canvas. And I said, well, I'm making this movie. What's it about? I told them what's about it. And they would say, no kidding. Me too. My brother's bipolar. No kidding. Me too. My mother's schizophrenic. No kidding. Every every time I, I told them what the movie was about. And I was like, I thought it was a minority. I thought mental disease was a, mo- a minority issue. Uh-huh. But then we investigated. And the reason why I started No Kidding Me Too was uh, after I was able to get back to work, when you make a movie, you mm-hmm. get a physical, and that you know they want to make sure all your vitals are okay. And you're not going to drop dead because they're going to bet on you surviving the production. And when I told the doctor, the doctor was the same doctor, the New York Union doctor, uh, that 
I was taking Lipitor for my heart and Lexapro for my brain, the same amount, like 10 milligrams a day, Mm -hmm. the insurance company wouldn't insure me. My lawyer called me up and said, well, they they won't insure you because they're afraid you're you're a risk, an insurance risk. And so the only way they will insure you if you indemnify yourself by, by, so if you have a mental breakdown, which causes a slowdown or stoppage to the production, it'll be your financial responsibility. And I said, well, what about my heart? He said, excuse me. I said, well, you know, I have a history of heart disease, like I have a history of mental disease. Well, why are they insuring my heart, not my brain? And he said, well, that's a good question. Um, but if you have a heart attack, they'll pay. And uh, and that's when I, I thought that we needed to talk about this and bring it out into the open and, and confront it. You know, that this, yeah. this discrimination and bigotry and shame that's associated with an organ disease and why mm. this particular organ is discriminated against when other organs are not. Stop the stigma. Yeah. Well, wow. that's a nice way of saying it. Stop. I say <laughs> stop the shame and bigotry. Okay. Our, our brains are, 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 you know, second, second class citizens. <laughs> Boy, what a story that is. Uh, I do not want to run out of time uh, talking to you today. I want to talk about the fact that my understanding is that your stepdad encouraged you to get into acting. Am I right about that? Yes. And that when you saw on the waterfront, you went as a kid, you went, yeah, well, that's what I want to do. Is that correct? Well, I saw on the waterfront and, and was told that it was made in Hoboken. (laughs) Okay. And, And as I got older, I started, I was able to recognize neighborhood people, uncles and cousins that were actually extras in the movie. Come on. Where I played, where I played little league baseball. Yeah was right on the Hudson River. And if the ball went over the fence, you had to run to get it uh, where it landed on the water edge, right where that little boathouse was that had such a big uh, part Presence. Uh, yeah. in, the, in the telling of the story. And those warehouses and factories, they were all there. So, you know, the, the fact that I knew the guy who owned the bakery, that it was loosely based on that, that you know, Frank Sinatra, Jimmy Roselli, from the same street that I grew up on, which was the Italian oh. street of Monroe street. Wow. Uh, you know, uh, Hoboken was a melting pot. Of, if you look at, if you look at Toronto and the different neighborhoods mm-hmm, mm-hmm. of different ethnic groups, mm-hmm. Hoboken is just like that, but only it's a mile square. So ah. a block away were where all the Irish migrated to and, and the Puerto Ricans and Greeks and, and, and I wanted to get out. And, uh, you know, in the 50s, early 60s, the only way to make money was through an education, which I, I wasn't in my future, or athletics. And again, um, entertainment or organized crime. And so entertainment was the opportunity. And the fact that there were two people in, in my neighborhood that actually were able to get on my mother's 12 inch black and white television. So if I saw Frank Sinatra, mm-hmm. I would think, look, he got it. He got out of there. Right. 
right. and, you know, and, and that's, it was a motivation that I wanted, I wanted to get out. I was also very afraid that when I died, there would be no evidence of my existence. And so that if I was in show business and I could be in the movies, mm-hmm. that even after, long after I was dead, I'd still be alive in those stories. Wow. You thought of that as a little kid. You thought yeah, about I that. 10 years old. I guess it was the, the age of uh, realizing that I would at, at some point cease to exist. You know, as a species, we're the only species on the planet that have a cognitive understanding that we will cease to exist. And I think that's why public relations and commercial advertising works mm-hmm. always. Mm-hmm. You want, you know, you want to be a part of a clan, you know, so whether it's letting Hertz put you in the driver's seat mm-hmm. uh, uh-huh. or or being part of some kind of political party, you want to be accepted. You want to be a part of. Part of. That's right. Uh, I could talk to you for hours. We only have a couple more minutes. So I'm going to give you some of your great uh, will ever live on film characters that we know that you existed, Joe. <laughs> so just give me a couple of thoughts on uh, Guido the Pimp and Risky Business. Thoughts on that movie? Uh, had great. It was great fun. Uh, was the movie I didn't, I, I just thought it was just one another of the basket of kid movies they were making that summer. Yeah. But I was working with, uh, you know, great, great actors and, uh, and filmmakers and everybody, you know, it was, it was awesome. I had a great time in Chicago. Great food. That was 19, 1983 featuring a 21 year old Tom Cruise. Midnight Run, you know, when I've talked to you last time, I don't remember if you know what my conversation was uh, about, but uh, part of it was the Midnight Run, how much I love De Niro and you and the great Charles Grodin in that film. That looked like a lot of fun to do. Again, yeah, it was, it was and, and Grodin <laughs> uh, lives in the same town I live uh, in, 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 in Connecticut. I, and I, you know, had the pleasure of seeing him over the years and, yeah. and, and, yeah, that, what I, one of my favorite things about Midnight Run right now is that how well it holds up. It's yes, timeless. It is. You, you, you see, a, as an actor, 90% of, of the movies I've been in have been complete garbage. You know, so you're, what you're talking about is that you know, 10% or 4% of these magical uh, uh, blessings that, that I was in at least a handful or a basket full of movies that will be remembered. Well, the, I'll tell you another one that will be remembered. And a great friendship was carved out of this one, The Matrix. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. And uh, many, many friendships. Uh, uh, but th- that was, again, a, an opportunity to be in a movie that a lot of guys didn't want to be in. Uh, a lot of guys didn't want to play second fiddle. Uh, to two women then nineteen was it, when was that movie made? Nineteen ninety nine. Oh, the Matrix. I'm thinking the about Ma- Bound. Oh, okay. Prior to that is Bound. That's how I I got to meet. Oh, the Bound. Adults. Yes. Yeah. 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 You know, Bound is a beautifully executed film. It was their first film, and they made Bound. The reason why I'm telling you the story is they made Bound to prove to Warner Brothers Studio that they could handle making a sixty six million dollar movie in the Matrix. Uh, so they made bound to prove that they knew what they were doing. Wow. And then they said, we're, we're doing this movie matrix. We want you to play cypher. 
And then, and then you meet Carrie Ann Moss, and then Carrie Ann told you about to look uh, to look at the mem the memento script. Well, she got me two jobs. She, you know, she, after we came home, there was another movie we shot in Toronto with Nick Moran and John Hurd. Oh, uh, and she recommended me for that, and then she recommended me for Memento, and that's how I I, I met Chris Nolan. Oh, such a great movie. I love Car Carrie Ann. I mean, when I got when I was hit by the car, mm -hmm. she reached out to make sure I was doing okay. I mean, she's a true blue, twenty four karat gold friend. She. It sounds like it. Ralph on the Sopranos, big Emmy win for you. Well, David Chase. I I met David Chase in in the early eighties. I did a one of my first big jobs was from Here to Eternity, and I met David Chase. At, through a, friend, a mutual friend, Larry Connor, who the friendships are so important, but Larry and David wrote what's going to be known as the Many States of Newark, which is the prequel to The Sopranos. Mm -hmm. So I met David on a couple of jobs when he was uh, working on the Rockford Files. Oh my God. He wanted gosh. me to do something on the Rockford Files. Oh. Uh, but he couldn't get network approval. But we we remained friend friendly. And then when he was doing uh, season two of The Sopranos, he called me about. We talked about working together, and I I, I didn't like that the part that he was talking about at that point. And I said, David, you know, please consider me as something really good in the future. Uh, uh, you know, I I, I want to be able to you know, benefit as much as you'd be benefiting from having me in your show. I want to, you know, I, I want to be able to celebrate that good fortune. So then he created this other character for two seasons. Uh, yeah. yeah. And I, and that's how I, I was able to get Ralph. Oh, that was a dark role, but you were so good at it. So great. I, I, there's so many more movies I want to talk to you about, but we're running out of time. So when I look at uh, uh, the, the many things that you've done in your life, um, uh, and you, you know, your birthday's coming up in September, uh, and you reflect back on all the things that you've done. I'm not going to say what you prefer movies or stage. What's the mo what's the thing that you're most proud of, of all the projects that you've done that we as the viewer have seen on screen? You know, it's, it's not the projects. It's, okay. it's that I've been able to, to make a living at the end of every year that I made a living doing something I always dreamt that that my dream came true that my wildest dreams came true that I that I've, I've been able to make a living as an actor for over 41 years I, I was able to raise a family you know and and uh that that all of these jobs accumulated mm -hmm. and represent a vast degree of 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 uh, personalities and characters, uh, you know, of the human element. Mm -hmm. You know, I was always interested in in discovering when I was building a character why these guys, why these characters became who they were, what traumas created a Ralph Cifaretto. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, what the the disease of uh, workaholism and and wanting to accumulate things and to be attached to those things, whether it's a solid gold 24 karat toilet seat 
mm-hmm. that those, those things define you, you know, right. the, that the women that you live with define you or sleep with, uh, mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, Mary Trump's book, yes. Too Much is Never Enough. Right, right. You know, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a cultural sickness. But, but I got to play some really diabolical characters and some, some lovable. Funny. Regulated endearing. and also funny, you know. And Luke endearing, endearing, endearing. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah, that, yeah. That's up to you. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, where do people follow you? Where can they follow you on social media? Oh, uh, um, on Instagram at Real Joey Pants. Real Joey Pants. I love that. I love that whole Real Joey Pants thing. Joe, I, I'm. I was so looking forward to talking to you today. I hope we can talk again another time. Thank you so much for being a part of this uh, of this podcast. Anytime, Marilyn, and thank you uh, for your interest. And uh, it's always a pleasure. It's always a pleasure talking to you. You're very good at what you do. Thank you kindly. I really coming from you. I'm really honored. Joe Pantoliano. Thank you so much. Take care and we'll talk soon. There will be a part two. Bye bye. Thank you. Marilyn Dennis does a podcast. New episodes every week. You can download or subscribe on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. 